over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Ladies and gentlemen, you have now a double opportunity, like a double-barreled way of getting your animal welfare uh, information. We have a video that comes out every Wednesday. It's uh, uploaded to the WABC YouTube station, exclusive to WABC. You just type in Red Apple Media, and you will see a panoply of different subject matter that Nancy has chosen and talks about, and there's videos and pictures of what she's pointing to, the latest being the life and times of Whiskers, uh, who uh, Nancy had saved in a animal care and control shelter, who was uh, to be uh, euthanized, and uh, when she brought her home, uh, she uh, ended up delivering a litter of six little kittens into the world. And Nancy, I must tell you, uh, the other day when I was in Astoria at Trattoria on 31st and uh, Ditmars, uh, was the Italian uh, Federation meeting, their annual meeting, and a lot of the women who were there were asking me, hey, how's Whiskers? How are the little kitties doing? How's Nancy doing? Well, um, um, Whiskers is doing great. Um, I'm doing, you know, better because that's not my full-time job right now. So, But Whiskers is doing great. Um, she's actually been super attentive. Uh, I would say she leaves their side, you know, maybe a f- like a few times throughout the day. And, you know, when I go in to um, visit on them, when, you know, when she's gone, uh, they're all, like, sleeping. So she makes sure that everyone is, uh, you know, all set up. Um, I would say at this point, the, uh, you know, since last week, there are sort of increases in mobility and movement. They're all, um, their, their eyes are all open now. So even though it's, like, a little bit, some of them, their eyes are all open, and they're definitely able to, you know, see you if you're, you know, within like a, maybe like a few feet of them. Um, Their ability to sort of, you know, turn around is pretty good. They can roll around. They they can pull up. You know, they have the the claws (laughs) so they can grab onto things, but they're not really walking too much yet. I would say, you know, like little movements, but then they kind of fall. So they're, I would say maybe a few days away from, you know, becoming like little, Little tyrants, <laughs> so but they're getting there. So what I don't understand, because this is the first time I've actually seen uh, a litter. Uh, you know, I I experienced it years ago when I was living in the, my grandfather and grandmother's house in Canarsie when the cat in the basement would have a litter. But it's not like I I went down and looked at them every day. But I can't figure out they don't use a litter box. So how come they're so clean? Well, uh, you know they. They're not using the the litter box per se, but uh, you know the, the whiskers is facilitating them, you know, uh, basically uh, uh, doing what they need to do because she has to help them. You know, it's almost like 
they're a little bit too young because um, you need to assist them. So, you know, if if she wasn't there, it would be me who has to actually go in, you know, every time that they're fed and make sure that you kind of, because that's something that needs to be done. But she takes care of that. So the area in which, um, you know, they ha- they're all laying in, it's a contained space. So it's easy for me to sort of swap out the uh, the bedding in which they're laying in and really not cause any, uh, you know, any any bit of a problem. Last question on whiskers. And by the way, uh, can people actually, uh, do they have a way of seeing whiskers and her six kittens? Oh, yeah. So on your Facebook page, so Curtis Sliwa, um, I have some pictures that just uh, tonight went up. And you'll see, you know, the recent pictures. I tried to grab all the little faces, but... Um, you know, I'll I'll get some videos up there soon too, so you can see their movements. But uh, yeah, I mean they're they're adorable, and uh, you know, one's cuter than the next. So obviously, the next step is going to be getting names for all these little ones. Yeah, we're going to need the help of our many listeners uh, in terms of coming up with names. So we uh, utilized uh, Greek names <laughs> uh, for most of the cats that you rescued. We've run out of some Greek names, so now we're going to need a a wide variety of names, and then eventually we'll need people that you can adopt them to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the good news is they're six, so that means they can go in pairs. Ah, so there would be three. You you believe in uh, having two uh, kittens go together. It makes it easier for them, and particularly, I would think, when they're left alone in an apartment and they have to entertain themselves. Yeah, it's like it's varieties of reasons, right? They grow up with siblings, so this way, you know, they're accustomed to that, so they'll be used to that. It's easier when you're not there all the time for them to have someone else to spend time with. Uh, it takes also a little bit of the burden off of you because then they become just solely dependent upon you if there's only, you know, one other being in the house and they can't really spend time. So, you know, it, I think and it makes their life a lot more enjoyable to have a companion who's going to be doing what they're doing. And then you as an owner as well, like, you know, you can enjoy seeing them in their relationship because they're great when they play with each other and they, they chase each other when they're cuddling with each other. Like, you know, it's it's just an enjoyable thing to see them interact. I got to tell you, looking at Whiskers, uh, she is very diminutive, very small, very slight. Uh, how is it she's able to care for six kittens, feed them, uh, and yet, in, in such a diminutive stature, be able to handle all that. You know, I mean, again, I I have to believe that it's it's more of you know the body will you know they have as many kittens as you know maybe they're capable of really handling. Based on her size, I was kind of surprised she had as many as she did. But you know that's why you, you just supplement um, the mother's diet because it's her responsibility to. Uh, be feeding them solely. So, you know, I, I tried like a day or two ago just to start a little bit introducing them. But, I mean, I could just tell it's they're not there yet. Um, they pretty much just wore it for a second, and that was it. So, you know, it's as long as I keep um, giving her extra nutrients and supplements and she's well-fed, then, then they'll be okay. Well, if you want to see the little ones, all six of them with their mother, uh, Whiskers and Nancy, all you got to do is go to my Facebook page, and uh, she's got it all posted there. In fact, pictures, uh, the latest sets up tonight. Meantime, uh, let's go to Fordham University, Uptown, in the Bronx, <laughs> East Fordham, Webster. That's where I made my bones as the night manager of Mickey D's. That's where I started the Guardian Angels on February 13th of 1979. 
But Fordham University has become the site where a Canada goose, there's two different ways of pronouncing it. Maybe somebody out there can explain the proper one. It's either a Canada goose or Canadian geese were on the grounds of Fordham University in the Bronx, uptown, and frightening co-eds, um, undergraduates, so much so that the young men and the young women didn't even want to come out of their housing units because they were afraid of this one Canada goose, Canadian geese, whatever you call them. Yeah. Our, our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. I'm sure we've got experts out there because the Canada geese are everywhere. They're like illegal aliens. They've come across the border from Canada, and I mean they're almost everywhere in the parks, the forests, you name it. Uh, the the uh, uh, Mer- meridians uh, on highways. They're all there. It's like what yeah. was what was the problem at Fordham University? Well, so uh, so apparently, I don't know if anyone knows where this particular goose came from, but it was it set up shop in the you know the campus location, and it wasn't leaving. And you know, according to the students, it's terrorizing them. It was flying at them as they're walking by, you know, trying to you know sort of attack them. And it, it all started with this one girl who, you know, she told the story how the goose had sort of started to follow her and, you know, was literally chasing her into a building and she tried to escape. You know, she's calling for help, basically, oh, I'm in this building. And then she wound up spraining her wrist. But the students, they they contacted the Department of Public Safety and they were saying, no, this this goose really is a menace. Now, the videos I see of it, right, so I I think it was more like kids being kids, unfortunately. You know, so now that it's it was sort of like a semi-celebrity, so you know, what you see is a lot of kids, you know, they're sort of like yelling and sort of being a little dramatic around it and charging. But at the same time, it's by itself. So, you know, they were saying, you know, that was probably just a little bit of a defensive behavior. But based on the students' complaints, they called in a company called Geese Relief. So this was to address and basically try to relocate this goose. And what they do is they bring border collies that go in and they stalk the goose and scare them off. So they're supposedly trained not to attack the geese, but, you know, just they're, they're trying to scare them off the, the premise. And supposedly they were successful, and no one has seen um, this goose since then. But where did they take the goose? Well, no, that's the thing. So they're not like a pest control company where they capture and trap and, you know, humanely remove. Um, they just have a... a a border collie, I mean, this sounds like a really kind of absurd plan, but a border collie that comes in and chases it from the premise, because I guess at this point it's consider, they're considering it like a wild animal. Oh, let's get it out of here, and hopefully it won't come back on campus. Um, I mean, certainly it doesn't sound like a, a final solution to this issue, but... Well, there is a final solution. Deport them all to Canada where they came <laughs> from. I mean, why else would they be called? And again... We need callers to define for me what they're called. Are they called Canada goose or Canadian geese? Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But they should be interned. They should be rounded up. Uh, there's Vesey Street downtown for illegal aliens. They house them there. There's Elizabeth, New Jersey. And then Tell Trudeau was sending these Canadian geese back where they belong to Canada. I mean, I, I, have you ever had an interaction with a Canada goose, a Canadian geese, Nancy? 
Well, I have, because when I grew up in Long Island, there used to be the uh, varieties of duck ponds that you would go to. And, you know, aside from the ducks, which are always, like, you know, super sweet, you have um, groups of geese, which can be, you know, again, they can be aggressive. It's it's kind of like anything. But the most aggressive, actually, were the swans. So those were the ones I, I would always stay away from. The geese, not so much. Well, you know, uh, I had an experience with Canadian geese, a.k.a. Canada goose, in Saddle River, New Jersey. That's where uh, Richard Nixon eventually uh, lived until he passed away. But I was uh, visiting a guy named Leon Temis. He uh, used to be the owner of Electronics Expo. They were a big advertiser for me uh, at the old uh, WABC. I had Lil Anthony with me, and he was getting bored in the house. So Leon says, why don't you take him to the park across the street? There's swings and there's everything to entertain him. So I did that. And there was a whole posse of these Canada goose, Canadian geese. And so Anthony goes running around, and I start chasing him. And all of a sudden, I slip on their poop because their poop is everywhere. I mean, Madonna, my, it's everywhere. And I was, like, drenched with Canada goose poop. And Leon Temis said, I don't think you should come in the house. My wife's going to really get upset because you smell like Canada goose poop. And I did. Yeah, it's pretty atrocious. And they're nasty. I mean, they're like honking at you and they're like trying to nip at you. It's well, like... And the thing is, they're they're fairly tall. So their reach when they actually do try to get you is pretty far. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to defend yourself. Round them up. Deport them back to Canada, Trudeau, where they came from. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now, simultaneous to that happening on the Uptown campus in the Bronx of Fordham University, not far away is the Bronx Zoo and the Botanical Gardens, the Bronx Botanical Gardens. Huge areas. Well, apparently from the zoo part, a peacock escaped. And all of a sudden on 180th Street right next to the zoo laid siege to somebody's leg and started to gnaw on it, and then that guy went down for the count, and then it was flying all over. What happened to that uh, peacock? Okay, so, yeah, so now this is another example of wildlife escaping the zoos. So, I mean, I don't know if they're they're just trying to leave. They know something we don't know, but this peacock got out, and it, it apparently it just stayed within maybe like a one- or two-block radius. But, of course, you know, the people in the surrounding area – see this unusual side of the peacock go, going down the road. It starts going, um, you know, up a hill on a, a, a street. It's going into traffic. Be, and so basically just like concerned citizens, they're trying to do their best to, uh, you know, like corral the peacock and make sure it doesn't get into traffic and hurt itself. And, you know, by doing that, then, of course, at some point they get a little close. And then the peacock, in sort of a defensive way, it just did um, attack this one guy. And then it, after it attacked him, it ran off, and it it wound up spending the night in a tree in the park. And obviously everyone, they were keeping an eye on it because they knew that it had escaped. And the next day, they said on its own volition that it went back into the zoo. Like, I'm not sure about that, but they were they were very, very adamant about saying that multiple times that it went back on its own. Um, and, you know, they were also very adamant about saying, oh, they're not um, – you know, they wander freely. They're not really aggressive animals. The only reason they would have attacked is, you know, having been cornered. But 
Yeah, I mean, the, the peacock was out in the middle of the street in around 8 p.m. <laughs> well, I, I know uh, that peacock will surface here at WABC tomorrow from 6 to 10. The peacock's name is Sid Rosenberg. There's no bigger peacock in the world than Sid Rosenberg when he struts his stuff. Let me tell you that. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, so supposedly it's back in the Bronx Zoo. This leads us to the bigger question of whatever happened to Flacco. Remember, Flacco was let loose out of the Central Park Zoo. That was the owl. And then it was tracked by bird watchers, you know, who had their safari hats on. They had their binoculars, their their shorts on. They made them look like Boy Scout uh, leaders. And they were going, whip-a-woo, whip-a-woo, trying to lure Flacco out of the trees as he flew up and down uh, Fifth Avenue and then Central Park South. Uh, and yet he ended up dining on mice and rats at night. Remember, they made the argument he'll never be able to survive. He's never survived in the wilds on his own. He was always hand-fed by the zookeepers. He did splendidly, and we haven't heard anything more about Flacco, have we? No, and Flacco, by all accounts, is still living in, in Central Park. And yeah, I think um, Flacco continues to have like the paparazzi um, surrounding him everywhere he goes, but He's doing fine, and I mean, again, this is—I mean, it's instinctual in these animals to survive. Um, to think that they're, you know, going to be unable to do so is, is a little bit silly. And obviously, this is what uh, this owl has shown. Um, you know, I'm just thankful that, you know, in in eating, uh, you know, whatever it might be eating, like the mice and the rats, that it hasn't gotten poisoned at this point. Because obviously, with whatever they're utilizing. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, poisons that that are in these rats that are are being eaten. But so so typical of our news folks, you know, they're all hot and heavy. You know, every five seconds they were tracking Flacco. That was never (laughs) resolved. And now you never hear about Flacco anymore. He's like old news. We don't want to talk about Flacco anymore. If anybody out there happens to know how that was resolved, if Flacco is footloose and fancy free flying around Central Park, or if he was captured at all and brought back to the Central Park Zoo, please uh, share that with us at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Another interesting um, story occurred up in Alaska, not far from where Sarah Palin was the governor, and she was looking out her kitchen uh, window and actually could see Russia across the Bering Strait, according to her. But apparently a huge bullwinkle moose-type animal wandered into a movie theater while a movie was playing. <laughs> it had no interest in the, the production that was airing. It was only looking for snacks. And obviously, if it realized how much they charge you for snacks in a movie theater, <laughs> you got to take a reverse mortgage or payday loan. But everybody, like, just bum-rushed out of there, and the moose had his take on all the snacks. Yeah, and, and actually, so apparently it was a baby moose, but I guess they're, uh, you know, big enough to scare people. So it had walked into the movie theater. And again, th- these are stories that you're going to continue to see a lot more of because there is, you know, so much of that, you know, we're joined in the same exact area all the time, so it's not going to be surprising that, you know, these animals are going to be dining on food of ours. So... Yeah, this moose just walked right into a movie theater, um, went up to the the snack area, and started eating the popcorn, started eating the food from the garbage, stayed there for about 10, 15 minutes, and then left. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) 
If you ever wanted to know where Bullwinkle Moose was, up in Alaska, our number's 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Ah, another interesting story, Nancy. Uh, you know, our owners and operators here, John and Margot, from time to time will have an engagement, a business uh, engagement or something that they're doing, and they jump on their private jet and they go. Could be down to St. Petersburg in Florida. Could be up to Buffalo recently where they went, Nashville for Frank Sinatra opening of a bar and restaurant. But I saw something. It just blew my mind. Flying dogs to New York on a private jet on a regular basis, and they're, like, hitting them up for $10,000 a dog? Say it ain't so. Well, actually, so this is this is kind of a, a good story because it was, um, you know, sort of uh, documenting this couple's trip they were taking from uh, London to Brooklyn. They were relocating. And they were trying to find options for, you know, how they could bring their two dogs with them. And the options that were available to them, uh, you know, like commercial airliners, they were trying to charge them uh, $15,000 to travel with their dogs. So, the, you know, these people were in a situation like, oh, we want to find something cheaper. They wound up paying $10,000 and that would that included them flying on a private jet with their dogs to New York and this is because you know apparently this is a real need going on where airlines make it um you know either cost prohibitive or even prevent people from traveling with their animals depending upon a breed or what their regulations are so this entire industry has grown up where it's um private jets and they rent them out and it's to um people who are traveling with their pets. So it's, you know, it's it's geared toward getting um, a lot of people in, you know, sort of a group rate type stuff. So you have, you know, people who are collectively traveling from certain areas, and it winds up being, you know, cheaper than trying to go on a commercial airline. And that was actually a really positive thing. So it was cheaper to go on a private jet. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Also, there was another story I couldn't believe I was reading the New York Post. It had a picture, about a half-page picture, of maybe the biggest cat that I've ever seen. And I'm not talking about a cat in the wild like a jaguar or a cheetah or a lion or a tiger. No, I'm talking about a domestic cat. First off, how big was that cat and how unhealthy is that cat for being so large? Okay, so the the cat you're talking about is... Bob. It was adopted um, from a Dallas shelter, and the cat weighed, let's see, 36 pounds. So that's estimated to be like about three times more than a cat should weigh. Uh, You know, depending upon the breed, maybe 10 to 12 pounds is a normal weight. And, uh, you know, so what the person who adopted did is, you know, normal stuff uh, started on a um, you know, smaller diet, a uh, certain degree of exercise, and, you know, within a few months, the cat lost uh, 14 pounds. So, you know, now this cat's on TikTok, and, you know, everyone's, like, you know, getting excited about the cat losing the weight. So you can see, I mean, it's it's extremely unhealthy for a cat to be that obese, and it's it's usually because they're being overfed. 
So it's not as though, you know, I mean, if you can get them to a normal um, size where they can be, you know, it, this is only going to lead to health problems. So for this cat, whatever the previous owner was doing, you know, very unhealthy lifestyle. And now, you know, thankfully, this, this cat probably has a, a lot more years. And again, just as advice for folks that have pets, uh, whether they're cats or dogs or other pets, how do you keep them from growing so large? Because I've seen a lot of dogs and a lot of cats who are obese. Well, you know, it's I, th- I think there's a lot of basic stuff, and I think this was what um you know this person was also documenting too. Like what they did was just really basic um, sort of changes. So, for instance, you have to limit the amount that you're feeding them. Number one, you would you wouldn't want to leave stuff out um, all throughout the day because that'll you know just tend for them to be overeating. You know, I, I've seen people, especially when they have dogs, they'll feed them. Um, you know, foods that they have, like, from the table, and they don't think anything of it. So, you know, beyond eating what they're eating during their normal meals, they're snacking throughout the day, uh, you, you know, with their owners. So, you know, and then also you have to be engaged in doing some sort of exercise with them. So I know with cats, uh, you know, it being very active with, uh, you know, playing with them because they love to, um, you know, run and jump and really just expend their energy and you have to do that a few times, you know, throughout the day because that's what keeps them, you know, in shape and what keeps them, you know, very active and healthy. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if you spend 15 minutes, you know, three times a day, you'll be able to keep them in shape. Now, another cat story of tremendous interest it has to do with the annual Met event at the Metropolitan uh, uh, Museum of Art. And everybody likes to have their signature attire. Years ago, it was... Uh, Lady Gaga with her pork chop pants. <laughs> then we saw um, AOC all out crazy with her eat the rich uh, dress. And then we saw Eric Adams with that crazy jacket that he wore uh, about being, uh, you know, anti-gun. But uh, I understand now a cat will be attending, an actual pussycat? Well, uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's not yet confirmed because apparently the the agent of the cat hasn't confirmed whether or not the cat's showing up, but wait, wait, um, the agent <laughs> of the cat? No, I can't, yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, so so this is um, so okay. So this is uh, Carl Lagerfeld. He's being honored this year um, at the Met a gala, and because of that, and unfortunately, he had passed away. So, but he had always prioritized uh, his pet cat. So I, th- I think the, I think the way you pronounce it is Choupet. And so this cat is 11 years old. So when he passed away, he had actually left the cat um, to, I think, what was considered like the nanny during the time that, uh, you know, he was alive and had taken care of the cat. So, you know, now this cat is being taken care of for the rest of its life by the person who had cared for it initially and does have an agent. And the agent hasn't confirmed whether or not the cat will be there, but there's an idea that, you know, they may bring the cat there because it's honoring um, him this year. So, you know, obviously everyone's getting excited. This would be like the first cat that they ever had. Um, you know, supposedly they had maybe some dogs on the sidelines before, but this would be a first, and I, I'm always I'm always happy with first stuff for cats. It would be a nice distra- distraction from all the freaks who show up uh, at the annual uh, Metropolitan uh, Museum uh, art event. Uh, anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. To the phones we go, Nancy. Uh, Phil is first up in the queue uh, for the Animal Welfare Hour here from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard, Phil. Hey, Curtis and Nancy. So uh, the deal with the geese, it's, it's a Canada goose or a Canada geese. The Canada is the species descriptor. It's not where they, where they came from or any country. So Canada is the same whether it's singular or plural. Canada goose. Canada geese. But the big problem is that the Migratory Bird Act protects them because they used to be all migratory birds. So you can't harass them, you can't kill them other than in hunting season. So now you have full-time residents that are not migratory, but they're still under the law. So you can discourage them, but you can't harass them and you can't kill them. And then there's a fine line between discouraging and harassing. That's why all of these schools and parks and everything have to put up with them. They have to come up with noise or dogs or something that's not going to physically harm them. Now, let me ask you a question, Phil. You say they're not from Canada. Is this like when I would drink Canada ginger ale, Canadian uh, ginger ale, uh, to soothe my tummy ache, uh, Canada dry? I found out it wasn't from Canada. So you're telling me they call Canada goose, Canadian geese, whatever the hell they're called, and they're not from Canada? They they do spend some time there, but they spend time in the United States. They're migratory. They they have no permanent home. Well, I tell but, you but what, again, Phil. But the species, the scientists uh, will call it Canada. I'll tell, Canada I'll goose, tell you Canada what. Oh, hold on a second. Hold your horses, Phil. We have 380 million people here in America, probably another 20 million from the illegals. So that's... 400 million. They only got 40 million people in all of Canada, which is the second largest country in the world, second only to Russia. They got plenty of room for Canada goose. Canadian geese, whatever. Anyway, uh, Nancy, let's go to Jeff and Forrest Hills. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Jeff. Hey, guys. Yeah, Bill's partially right. They are migratory, but they they have a name, Canada geese, because, yeah, they are actually from Canada. Back in the day, I guess they named them, but they'll go back. They're, they're, they, they're creatures of habit. So if they see water and grass, that's like the fountain blue for them. And, you know, you try kicking somebody out of the fountain blue that's not paying, then they want to leave. Now, the reason people are getting attacked is it's springtime. It's mating season. So geese will not mess with you all year long. If you go near the nest, the, the papa geese, he'll come out of nowhere. I mean, he could be anywhere, but if that mother geese lets out a yelp, he'll come from wherever, flapping his wings. Yeah, hissing. He'll hiss and scare the hell. I know him since I was a little kid. I used to go up to the nest with a stick. You know, not to harm him. I just wanted to see him hiss. And uh, the same thing with the peacock. I used to caddy in, in Florida and uh, Miami Beach. Uh, there's an island. And they have tons of them. And if a member hit it to the right side, if he leaked his golf ball, sometimes I have to say, I, I, I can't go over there. You know, I don't even think you should go over there. Well, no, a lot of times no, they would. No wonder why. No, no wonder why you use the analogy of the Fontainebleau, the hotel there in Miami. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I work for the billionaires. I must say, you know, I'm not that good yet, but yeah, I do. 
Well, no, you, you you certainly educated us on Canada Goose, Canadian Geese, and the Peacocks. Let's go to Tommy who's calling from Throg's Neck. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Tommy? Go, Buchanan, go. Go, Buchanan, go. Unfortunately, Steve from Manhattan still hasn't escaped his juvenile ways. Let's go to Eric in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Eric. Hey, Curtis and Nancy. Uh, I um, I wanted to talk about cats, if that's okay. But as, I'll talk about the geese if you want to talk about the geese. No, but no, no. You can talk about point. cats, whatever whatever animal uh, issues you want to speak about. Yeah. Um, I just want to follow up what that guy was saying about the nesting. Uh, just don't let them nest. You know, maybe they should have a goose patrol in the springtime and, you know, keep them from nesting. So, you know, sort of like nip the problem in the butt, but... Anyway, that brings me into my cat story. Uh, do you think that you should keep cats like a wild cat that you bring in, like inside the house and just get him to stay in the house? Or if he was, you know, I see cats on the t- all the time outside, you know, and like I had a cat, uh, just put him down and he, he was a wild cat. And, you know, so I let him out and he slept, you know, that cat gave me a lot of sleepless nights waiting for him to come home, if you know what I mean. But Anyway, what's your opinion on keeping cats in the house or outside or uh, or inside or whatever? Nancy? Did we lose Nancy? <clears throat> I think... Uh, oh, hello, hello. Oh, oh there, there you are. Okay, okay. No, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of, you know, keeping cats indoors in general if they're, you know, indoor cats. Now, uh, when you find the cats outdoors too, right... Sometimes it depends because unless you know where they came from, the ones outdoors, they could be uh, either born out, outside where they're just like completely feral or a, a lot of times too it's like they, they used to live in a house at some point and people had them as indoor-outdoor cats and they just eventually left or they got separated. So there could be you know some level of domestication in them. And I've even known cats who were born outdoors too who – you know, because I've known them their entire lives, they're very friendly. So I definitely think it depends on the temperament of the cat, and you can really judge. I mean, you would know if it doesn't want to be there. That's what I absolutely think, and I do think it's much safer for them to always be indoors. Um, if there's something they're lacking because they're now inside, you can usually, you know, sort of accommodate by setting up something indoors for them where they can, you know, be able to see outside. You know, they can almost be safe, but but interact with outdoors. Let's go to John calling from Kew Gardens. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, John. Hey, hi, Curtis. I wanted to update you on uh, Flacco to answer your question. Sure. So uh, Flacco uh, has moved a lot closer to where you are, actually. He's in the North Woods uh, in kind of a secluded sunken area around 101st Street, west side. And uh, he's been living there comfortably for, uh, I think, roughly two months now. And oh, nice. uh, feeding off yeah, feeding off rats and squirrels. And uh, and uh, the birders there tell me that he, fe- and he flies to the compost uh, to, to find food as well. Now, he's, he's uh, now are, you, are, you a, are you a birder yourself, John? Semi. I'm uh, kind of very amateur. But I, I've, I've become a Flacco fan. So... Uh, <laughs> Now, uh, when, when you say, when you say you're an amateur, what exactly is involved in birding? Because I've seen them 
in Central Park. I saw them over in the Meadowlands, uh, out in the marsh areas. Yeah. What is it? What is it exactly that you do? <laughs> you go. You uh, look for migrating birds, especially this time of year. But it's a little premature now because of the rough weather. Uh, you look for rare birds, really, uh, that uh, uh, people don't often see. And uh, uh, but the real, uh, you know, the real uh, hardcore birders. Uh, they they follow birds. They run after them around the park <laughs> with their with their huge cameras and telescopes and everything. You know, uh, uh, I I don't go that far. <laughs> I kind of amuse myself. Do you write it down? Do you critique it? Do you log it? What, what do the birders do? Do they share the information with everyone? Yes, uh, there are there are the social media. They're they're on uh, Twitter. Uh, there's a there's an account called Manhattan uh, Bird Bird Alert, I believe, oh, um, and uh, that that's one way I keep up to date on Flacco. Make sure he hasn't flown the coop altogether. <laughs> but wow. so, but 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 he's a very pretty bird, especially if you can see him through binoculars, because he's he likes to stay way up on the tall trees and you know the big strong trees up there. And uh, you really need binoculars to get a good look. But uh, uh, yeah, not often you see an owl in the city. No, No, in fact, uh, he's probably the most famous owl now uh, worldwide, Flacco, who uh, against uh, all all the experts said that Flacco would never be able to survive on his own because he had been hand-fed since he was a little chick. He's been in Central Park, Mm -hmm. the zoo, that it would be impossible yeah. for him to survive on his own. And guess what? He survived, as you mentioned, splendidly. Yeah, yeah, he looks quite healthy. And I just hope the, uh, you know, like like uh, Nancy said, he doesn't encounter a rat that's eaten any poison or, or maybe he has any, and he's immune to it. I don't know. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he's he's been there, you know, he's been eating he's, so, on his yeah. own for three months now. Yeah, and and that would be kind of hard to think that he hasn't encountered something like that at this point. Yeah, I I think the other the other thing, John, is it lends itself to suggest with all the money. I mean, we're spending crazy money to do rat mitigation and failing Mm -hmm. in almost every approach. But that Mm -hmm. if we brought in some owls in all the large parks that we have, and we have amazingly large parks. Yeah, you you know, you go to. uh, Alley Pond Park in Queens, you go to obviously Prospect Park, you go to Clove Lake Park in Staten Island, you go to Central Park, Van Cortland Park. These places would be great for the owls uh, to live, and then they could help with the rat mitigation, the mice and rodent mitigation. And it, it, It's not costly at all because they survive on their own. That's right. That's right. Very cost-efficient. Well, you'll, you'll have to uh, tell Sid to call uh, his buddy in the city hall. <laughs> yeah, well, his buddy stood him up uh, this week. He was supposed to be on with him on Friday, and he came up with some fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi excuse. Uh, he claims, uh, Sid claims, that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, will be joining him on Wednesday. But, Nancy, that should be one of our efforts as part of the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. Now that we've seen Flacco so successfully survive, not in the wilds, but in the city park uh, of Central Park, why couldn't we uh, try to get uh, more owls into our park system? 
because they could help with the rat, mice, and rodent mitigation. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't make sense if, you know, if you have appropriate – I mean, again, I, I'm pretty sure that it's just they're, they're contained within an area. Like they're probably like colony cats. They tend to stay where they are, where the food source is, where it's safe. So, um, you know, people who are more knowledgeable than myself would know how many owls could sufficiently fit in Central Park and adequately patrol and – and eat so, but yeah, I would I would definitely be interested in tapping into that knowledge. Well, the ones who would know are the birders themselves. They're the experts. This is their passion. This is their obsession. I've seen them go to extraordinarily uh, extraordinary lengths to perch themselves to watch the migratory birds. To you know, it's almost like uh, uh, they have they call them spotters of trains, train spotters in yeah. London. Where they'll stay at the end of the of the uh, platform and they'll log the numbers of all the passing trains. They do that uh, also uh, at uh, uh, of airplanes. The the numbers on the tail of it. They'll stay at like LaGuardia and their spotters and they'll write them down. Uh, these these birders are the perfect experts because they would spot the owls. They would uh, sort of share the information on where they're nesting and how they're performing and if any of them are sick or in need of care. I mean, to oh, me, yeah. this and, would and be a great answer. There are a lot of those, um, you know, different groups. Um, you know, definitely I, I would look into to see the names of them. But, yeah, there are groups who do just that. Like, um, you know, they'll ask people who are birders to, uh, you know, share the information that they that they have so this way it's creating like a community database because, you know, unless there's something specifically being done, I mean, that's really the best resource you have out there, people who are on the ground every day. And as long as you let them know where they can, you know, document uh, what they see, you know, you're, you're really going to have uh, like robust information there. Well, what's great is they're wearing the safari hats, the uh, shorts, they got the binoculars. It's great. Anyway, let's go to David in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, David. Curtis, uh, Curtis, great show. By the way, I just want to give some advice to that call a few calls ago. If you take a cat indoors, you keep it indoors. And the first thing you do is that you trap it and you get a rabies and a parvo shot on it quickly. And you can't be dancing back and forth, let it out, let it in. You, you, you own that cat. You're bringing it in. And if you leave it alone, it might hide under the couch for a month. Just leave it alone. You know cats very well. It will socialize. Now, I want your comment. I'll get off the phone. Great show as always. The thing that bothers me is this new thing about the rats, what I foresee, and I hope it doesn't happen, people are going to start dumping their cats again. They figure, oh, we can't, you know how they dump cats? I live in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and they dump cats over here. We pick them up and save them and adopt them. But with this new rat thing, they figure, oh, honey, let's let's let Fred out. He'll kill the rats. And it doesn't work like that. So Hmm. great show. I'll get off the air. No, no, no. That's that's an interesting proposition, Nancy, that he stated that. People might start dumping their cats, which they already do in parks and in wild areas. We, we've we've uh, heard of many reports where people will just drive up, open the door, and just let a cat out and won't even think twice about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly hope that um, wouldn't lead people to do that. Um, and, and I also you know, would think that someone who's going to dump a cat, that's a, a specific personality that – they, they'll come up with any reason to dump the cat because I just think that's probably just who they are. Um, but, yeah, in terms of maybe just thinking, uh, you know, if I have the 
the cat indoor outdoor like it could lead to maybe some more of that like where people who would otherwise just completely never think of having their cats uh you know go outdoors they might you know i mean let's face it you, you walk out in in the city now and you're seeing rats you know at, as soon as it, it gets dark even in the light time so they might think oh let me just open the door and you know, this way the the cats can actually go after them. So that it could, I can certainly see that happening a lot. You know, people just being a little concerned about the rats. And our final call of the Animal Welfare Hour is Dean in Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Dean. Hello, Curtis. Well, I got two, one story, cat story, and I'm going to call you Friday with my Kentucky Derby selection. Okay, so. Tell your man to let me get in so I don't have to wait an hour for the call, okay? <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, now the cat story. This is for Nancy. We and a friend in the neighborhood have taken care of a feral cat who's very friendly, comes on the porch where, where we live. We live in an area where a lot of dogs come by with their masters, and they come with the green grass, and they want to do their business. They pick it up, no problem. But the cat attacks dogs. If we're on the porch with the cat, he gets jealous and will puff up and run off the porch and actually attack a dog. So last week, and if we're not on the porch, I can look out my window, see the cat on the porch, and he won't even bother the dog. just gets jealous when we're around. Yeah. And last week, two weeks, three weeks ago, the city came and made a complaint that somebody was either scratched or bit and forced us to put the cat in a crate for 10 days. What? So when I came out, oh. spoke, yeah, when I came out and spoke to the person from the city, they <laughs> told me they were doing it for the cat's benefit. And I said, no, no, no. I know why you're doing it, because if the cat has rabies, you have a 10-day incubation period. She told me, no, if the cat drew blood and the blood is on the cat's tongue and the person has AIDS, the cat will get AIDS. So did you ever hear a stupider story than that before in your life? No, that, that, that's pretty much <laughs> at the top of the list. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. I and, know and, why they did and it. Dean, the the this is in Jersey City, right? Jersey City, behind Journal Square, a nice little area, very quiet area. We have a lot of grass, and a lot of dogs come by from other areas. Well, I, I will tell you, this is the result of Mayor Steve Fulop. Who Noam Layden, our news director, keeps promoting ad nauseum to become the next governor of the state of New Jersey over my dead body. Should be Cinderella. Another reason not to elect Steve Fulop your next governor. You ever hear a nonsensical explanation like that from animal control, Nancy? No, I haven't. Um, but the one thing I would say, I'm surprised about the 10-day thing because, you know, even with the, the random odd explanation... And now in New York City, I know animal care and control, you have a, a cat who gets brought in, and it has a bite of unknown origin. That's a six-month quarantine. So 10 days is very light. Wow. How many? Six, six months? months? Six months. Whew. Yeah, you, you have to be confined for six months in the shelter by yourself for six months if you come in with any bite. We don't even confine people who get st who stab people. Yeah. 
or shoot people for six and, months. And, and, and think about you don't even know what just happened to this animal, and now it's basically a, a prisoner by itself all alone for six months. Hmm. I mean, that's just a horrible situation. It is. Now, meantime, if anybody uh, has any further desire to get in touch with you on animal welfare issues, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab, or you can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org. And if you want to eyeball Whiskers <laughs> taking care of her six kittens that she just brought into the world, you go to my Curtis Sliwa Facebook page, and again... Uh, you can see the half-hour video that Nancy and I put together every week with our video crew. Uh, you go to the um, uh, YouTube WABC um, uh, site, and you type in Red Apple Media. It's exclusive to WABC, and you'll see the story of Whiskers and the birth of her six kittens as she was rescued from the shelter where she would have been euthanized uh, by Nancy. And, of course... WABCRadio.com, you have all the podcasts of this uh, animal welfare show. They go back uh, more than a year. Uh, you can listen to them. You can share it with others. And the most important thing, make sure you treat animals the way you treat people, and it'll be a lot better world.